Welcome to Peace by Believing. My name's John Redmond, and I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus, but I think about someone who is loving and kind and patient and always forgiving us of our sins. When I read about Jesus in the Bible, I, I see someone who always took time to meet other people's needs, who was healing those who were sick and encouraging those people who were discouraged. Jesus in the Bible just always seemed to be a very contented and a very happy person. And yet we read on more than one occasion that there were times in Jesus' life when he actually got sad, when he cried, and even when he wept. On today's program, we're going to be thinking about one of those instances in the life of Jesus when he wept over the city of Jerusalem. If you have your Bible today, I would encourage you to open it to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 41. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this year day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close in on your every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation." And so when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he looked at the city, in fact, we have a picture tonight of the city of Jerusalem taken from the Mount of Olives. And this is the site that Jesus saw when he was descending the Mount of Olives to go down to the bottom, cross that valley there, that's known as the Kidron Valley, and to go up the other side through the eastern gate that is now closed, but back in Bible times it was open. And one day when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, he will open that eastern gate again. But when Jesus was looking at the city, before he even uh, went into the city, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Now, it's an interesting word here for wept. Do you remember there's another place in the Bible where it says Jesus wept? In John chapter 11, in verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible, when Jesus came to Lazarus' grave and saw the place where his friend had been buried, it says Jesus wept. Now, the word there for wept has with it the idea of he cried silently. Literally, he shed tears. And most of the time when I'm with a family at a funeral, that's what's happening. They're shedding tears. They're crying silently. By the time a funeral has arrived, the, at least some of the initial shock of the death has passed. There's certainly sadness. There's certainly tears that are being shed. But most of the time, those tears, it's, it's under some control. But in Luke chapter 19, when he says, when Luke says that Jesus wept, he uses an entirely different word. And here it means to sob to wail, to cry out loud. And so when Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, it's not just that he shed a few tears. It's not that at all. It is that he 
wept and cried in such a way that everybody who was near him could hear him sobbing and wailing and crying. And the question that I want us to answer tonight, or at least to ask this question, I hope I can answer it, is why did Jesus weep when he saw the city of Jerusalem? What was it that touched the heart of Jesus so much? Well, first th- the first thing that made Jesus weep, and if you're a note taker, very simple little outline I'm going to give you tonight. Even if you don't take notes, it's so simple. I think you can remember it. He wept because he saw the condition of the people. He saw the condition of the people. Now, we read back at the beginning of this passage, at the end of verse 42, or at the beginning of verse 42, rather, he said, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for peace. And so when Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, basically what he was seeing was hundreds of thousands of people who thought they knew where peace was found, and yet they were completely wrong. They had missed uh, the thing that brought peace, and that was a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know today when Jesus looks down from heaven on the city of Jerusalem, he sees the exact same thing? He sees a city that for the most part has missed the thing that brings peace. Peace, and the thing is a person. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus looks at that, he would say today the same thing that he said back then. You have missed it. You have missed the thing that brings peace. Peace was never found by offering sacrifices in the Jewish temple, not real lasting peace, not salvation. Peace is not found as the Muslims go into the Dome of the Rock to worship Allah. That's not where peace is found. Peace is found in a personal relationship with me. And that's why Jesus wept over the city because he saw the condition of the people. They had rejected him and they had no peace. You still listening? Say amen. I know that was a little bit of history, but I thought it was interesting. And you should have shown more excitement over what I just said. (laughs) Now, turn to the right just a few pages in your Bible and find the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. We're so close to it, I could just quote it, but I want you to see it. Because this one verse in John's gospel explains why Jesus wept in Luke's gospel. John chapter 1 and verse number 11. He came to his own, now watch this, and his own did not receive him. That's why Jesus wept. When he looked at that city, he's seeing hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. He was of the line of David. And he saw all these Jewish people. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. And when they rejected him, they rejected the thing that brought peace, and that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm saying to you tonight, when Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem, but it's not just the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus looks at the city of Houston, Dallas, Detroit, San Francisco, Los Angeles, when Jesus looks at cities all across the world, London, Paris, you name the country, you name the city, smaller cities, Pasadena, Deer Park, when Jesus looks at our cities, I believe there is a sense 
in which Jesus weeps today. Maybe not the shedding of his own tears. Maybe, I don't know. But we know, I know that Jesus is still broken in his spirit because not just hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people have missed the thing that brings peace. And maybe even tonight as you're here, maybe you have missed Maybe you've been in the church all your life and you believe in God and you believe in Jesus and you've, you've joined the church and you've been baptized and all these things and you love God and you respect the Bible and yet as you're sitting in your pew tonight, you don't have peace and you can't figure out why you don't have peace. Well, the Jews couldn't figure out why they didn't have peace. They were going through all the religious rituals of their day and yet they knew something was missing and yet they failed to understand that what they were looking for was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ and maybe tonight you're just like they were. I mean, you say, well, could, is it possible? Sure, it's possible. If Jesus' own people rejected him, don't you think people today could reject him? Some knowingly, some intentionally, some not even meaning to reject him. Some just stumbling over the simplicity of salvation being found by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ is called a stumbling block, because many people stumble over him. They want to do something great to make themselves right in God's eyes. They want to do something. They want to earn God's acceptance or earn God's favor. And maybe we've all tried to do that. There Years in my life, I was trying to do that. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I didn't have peace, and I was trying to find peace, and yet I was stumbling over the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. And when I trusted Him, I received Him, and I received peace, changed everything about my life. But I'm saying there are millions of people today who don't have peace. They have missed the thing that brings peace. I was reading last week how years ago Barbara Walters interviewed a famous actor. And she asked that actor this question. If you could have anything in the world, one wish, what would you wish for? And that actor said to her, every time I have a birthday, every time I blow out candles, every time I see a falling star, I wish for the same thing, inner security. Albert Einstein once said this. He said, it is amazing that I could be so universally known and yet be so lonely. How could a person not have inner security? How could a person not have inner peace? How could a person be so lonely? Because they have missed the thing that brings peace. And the only way that you will ever have peace in your life is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And that's why Jesus, when he looked over that city, he wept. He didn't just shed tears. He convulsed. He sobbed. He wailed because they had missed the thing that brought peace. He cried. He wept because of the condition of the people. Number two, he wept because of the judgment that was coming to the people. First of all, their lost condition. But second of all, he wept because of the judgment that they would soon experience. Now, let's go back to Luke 19, and let's just slow it down here and look at this, because this is very interesting. Jesus said in verse 43, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Jesus said these words in about 30 A.D., 
And he was prophesying something that would happen 40 years later in 70 A.D. Now, keep in mind, in the day in which Jesus lived, the Jewish people were under the authority of the Romans. The Romans had the power in that day. And that's why a lot of the people rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They were waiting for their Messiah to deliver them from such oppression and bondage. And Jesus basically was saying, I didn't come to set you free from the Romans. I came to set you free from the devil and sin. And when he comes again, he'll set everybody free. He'll make everything right. Friend, one day there will be peace in the Middle East. And that will be when Jesus goes back through that eastern gates and establishes his throne. He will rule with a rod of iron. But that day hasn't come yet. And yet Jesus was saying to them, judgment is coming on the city of Jerusalem. And did you know in A.D. 66, 66 A.D., 36 years after Jesus said this, There was a revolt by the Jewish people against the Romans. They tried to take their city back from the Romans and had some success. But in the year 70 AD, the Roman emperor Vespasian said, that's enough. If we don't squelch this revolt by the Jewish people, they're going to have their city back. And so he sent his son Titus who was the military leader, he sent Titus to Jerusalem with these instructions, destroy the city, build an embankment around the city, just like Jesus said. In fact, I mean, when you read what Jesus said and then you read what happened in 70 AD, look at this again in verse 43. For those of you who are historians, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And that's what Titus did. On April the 9th in the year 70 A.D., he began building this embankment around Jerusalem. You say, what's the significance of this embankment? The people couldn't get out. Food couldn't get in. And Titus began his invasion of Jerusalem by starving the people. He knew that a hungry, thirsty, weak, dehydrated people were much easier to defeat. And so for 143 days... 143 days, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, and they began to identify quarters or portions of the city and to destroy them one at a time. And by the early part of September of 70 AD, they had completely destroyed. Now, listen to this. You still listening? Say amen. Over 600,000 Jews killed. You talk about the Holocaust. There's one right there. All through history, we see Jewish people being killed exterminated in large numbers, and here's over 600,000. Over 100,000 more Jews were taken slaves back to Rome where they were slaves. And if you've been to Rome and if you've seen the Colosseum and you know how how the Romans treated those Jewish slaves, many of them even being put in the Colosseum as gladiators having to fight with lions, they were killed because of their faith because their refusal to bow down, many of those who had been saved by this time, now taken off as Christian, Christian Jews in Rome. The city of Jerusalem destroyed. That beautiful temple that Herod had built, that he had expanded it from Zerubbabel's temple, the temple of Jesus' day, completely destroyed. And there hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem since. The Jewish people have not had a temple since 70 A.D. They have not offered animal sacrifices since 70 A.D. Somebody says, why don't the Jews offer sacrifices anymore? They don't have a temple. 
And see, that's what the Jewish people are wanting more than anything. They want their temple back. They, want, they are waiting to build the third temple. And the scripture teaches that that third temple will be built during the seven year of tri- tri- years of tribulation on the earth after the rapture of the church. And I've told you this before. If you go to Jerusalem today, you will go through a place and you will see furniture for the temple that is already ready for the temple to be built. I'm telling you how close we're living to the end of the world. By the, think about this. Before the temple is built, the rapture of the church will have taken place. Jesus will have come back to the air, and there'll be the, vo- the shout of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are saved will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air too. That's the rapture of the church. And then all hell will break loose on the earth. And the Antichrist will rise up, and he'll say to the Jews and to the Palestinians, to the Muslim world, hey, why don't we come together? He will do in a similar way what the Israeli prime minister did in 1967 when he deeded authority of the Dome of the Rock back to the Muslims in an attempt to make peace. The Antichrist will say, hey, the world, look at what's happening. It's chaos. Can't we all get along? And if you'll follow me and let me be your leader, I will bring peace. He's promising a peace he is incapable of bringing. It is a false peace. And one of the things he will say is, let's let the Jewish people build their temple back on the Temple Mount. They've not had a temple up here in 2,000 years. What I'm saying to you is the furniture for that temple is already in a secured place in Jerusalem today. It just tells you how close we are to the end of the age. And yet when Jesus wept over the city, the reason he wept was because he knew that judgment was about to come to the city of Jerusalem. He knew what Titus would do. He knew 600,000 Jews would be killed. He knew that not one stone would be left on another stone. And when he thought about the judgment that his people would be facing at the hands of the Romans, he wept. But he didn't just weep because of the earthly judgment that was facing them. He wept because of the eternal judgment that would be facing them and that awaits the soul of every unsaved person. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he knew, and even though it's not popular to talk about this, and even though it brings me no joy to talk about this, sometimes I hear a preacher talk about hell and it's almost like the preacher gets happy talking about everybody going to hell. Well, I don't get happy thinking about anybody going to hell. I'd rather not even talk about hell. It's horrible. And yet it's a real place and it's in the Bible and you can't preach the Bible without preaching everything in there. You have to preach the whole counsel of God. One of the reasons Jesus wept is he knew that he was looking at a city that was home to hundreds of thousands of people who would spend their eternity in hell. And the thought of that crushed him. And he's thinking they didn't know what made for peace. They didn't know how they could have their sins forgiven. They didn't know how they could go to heaven. They have rejected me. He came to his own and his own received him not. You say, oh, it's no big deal. They decided to be, uh, they decided to reject Christianity. They didn't just reject Christianity. They rejected Christ. And when they rejected Christ, they rejected forgiveness. They rejected salvation and they rejected heaven. And Jesus is thinking, What the Romans are going to do to this city is going to be horrible. But what's going to happen to these people as they spend eternity in hell is infinitely worse than that. You know, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, said this. Preachers and evangelists should be hung 
over the open flames of hell for 24 hours so they would know the urgency of their work. And tonight, if you're here with no peace, unsaved, not ready to die, you should view me tonight not as your enemy, but as your friend who stands before you tonight in an open setting and declares to you gospel, Bible, truth, and says to you tonight, if you will turn to Christ, repent of your sins, ask Him to save you, tonight you can be saved. Harry Ironside, a great preacher of a long time ago, said this, What a sad sight must be any of our great cities present to the all-seeing eyes of our Lord as He beholds them today. Beneath all the outward splendor of architecture, beautiful parks, schools, and great business houses, His holy eyes discern all the hidden sin, the selfishness, the unbridled lust, the vice and the corruption, the hypocrisy and hardness of conscience which call as loudly for judgment now as the evils tolerated in Jerusalem cried to God for destruction so long ago. And Jesus wept because the people living in Jerusalem, they had rejected Him and He knew that judgment was in their future. So why did He weep? First of all, because of their condition. Second of all, because of the judgment they were about to face, both earthly and eternal. And third, he wept because of the missed opportunity. They had an opportunity, and they missed it. Look back in verse number 44 again. The very end of the verse, Jesus said this, You did not know the time of your visitation. I don't know what that, that phrase does to you. That's powerful language. You did not know the time of your visitation. What's it mean? Jesus was saying to these hundreds of thousands of Jewish people, He was saying, you didn't understand who came to earth. You don't understand who is here now, the time of your visitation. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, you didn't understand that you had an opportunity to receive me. But you didn't want to receive me, receive me. You didn't want to be saved. And you missed the time of your visitation. We've been studying some of the things that Jesus did on His way to the cross. And we studied how Jesus went through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. And while He was passing through Jericho, a blind man named Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by. And Bartimaeus thought to himself, I have an opportunity. I have a chance. Jesus is coming through. Maybe He could be the one to restore my eyesight. And he did restore his eyesight, and more importantly, he saved his soul. Bartimaeus was healed and saved. As Jesus continued to go through Jericho, there was another man who heard he was coming through. We studied his life last Sunday night, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an unsaved man. He had ripped people off. He had been a dishonest businessman. He didn't have any peace. He was searching for God. He was up in a sycamore tree. In fact, I got home last Sunday night, and I thought, I need to preach that sermon about Zacchaeus again. Because I have a whole new thought on it. As soon as I got home last Sunday night, I thought about that. Zacchaeus was in a sycamore tree. That's not the place where most grown men hang out, right? <laughs> not a distinguished man climbing a tree. You go home tonight and you see your neighbor up in the tree, you're going to call 911, right? Because that's spooky, man. I mean, that's just weird. Did you know when you find people in unusual places doing unusual things, that's really a cry for help because they're seeking even if they don't know that they're seeking. 
There are people tonight in bars and in clubs and in adultery and in all manner of sin. And, and, and we think, what are they? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're seeking. Now, they don't know that they're seeking. They just know something's missing, and they think maybe they can find that somewhere else. We have the message, what you're looking for can only be found in Jesus. But when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, he climbed up in that sycamore tree. He was searching, and Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down out of that tree. And he came down out of that tree, and as he descended that tree, he got saved. That's when he was forgiven, and Jesus went to his house for a celebration meal. See, what I'm saying is Bartimaeus had an opportunity, and he took advantage of it. Zacchaeus had an opportunity, and he took advantage of it. But when Jesus got on top of that Mount of Olives and he looked over that city and across that Kidron Valley and through that eastern gate and on that Temple Mount, he saw hundreds of thousands of his own people who had the same opportunity that Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus had. And yet, instead of seizing the day, they had missed it. They rejected him. He came to his own and his own received him not. Well, friend, if you've never called on Jesus, asking him to save you and to forgive you, I would encourage you to do it now, today, while you have an opportunity. I want to thank you for listening to us on Peace by Believing. We'll look forward to being with you next time.